Welcome to the Critical Witness podcast, where we talk faith, apologetics, evangelism, and anything else we can think of. We hope you enjoy the show. Cool, we're live. Welcome to Critical Witness with myself, Phil, Dan, and we've got Tom Price with us and um, Dan's children in the background. <laughs> so uh, we're, we're going to go straight into our show um, pretty quickly, but just to say we have 200 subscribers, 200 clicks on the subscriber button, which is very um, generous as long as the majority aren't bots. And um, But thanks for those. And to celebrate, we're going to have myself, Dan, and Andy Kind, 136 Apologetics, who's in the live chat, and London Theist are going to join us for a live Q&A and probably quite a bit of banter. And that's on the 11th of December. So if you'd like to join us with that, please do. Um, and there'll be a link going on our social media very points um, to get questions in. And there'll be a bit of an ask us anything um, and we might answer it. So, uh, without any further ado, um, Dan and Tom, great to have you here to chat this evening. And um, Tom, I'm just going to hand straight over to you and let you introduce yourself. Um, who are you and what do you do? Hi, I'm Tom. Um, I am um, one of the team at OCA, the Oxford Centre for Christian Apologetics. Um, I also am an Archbishop's Evangelist with the Church of England, with the College of Evangelists. And I am, what am I? I'm a dad, I'm a husband, I've got three kids and a doggy, um, and uh, a wife as well. Um, and I have particular interests around um, meeting people in the questions that they're in. I, I really love the example of the Apostle Paul in Acts 17. I think of all the passages which has shaped me and my approach to thinking about how I engage with people asking questions and my own questions as well. I think Acts 17 has shaped me almost more than any other passage um, and how Paul wants to understand culture and make sense of culture and find the, the, the moment where he speaks into that culture. So that's what I'm interested in. I'm involved in training um, people in sharing their faith and have been involved in that for about 12 years as one of the tutorial teaching lecturing team there at OCA, the Oxford Centre for Christian Apologetics. And then I'm also involved in speaking. I speak at um, CUs and in the marketplace sometime. Um, I speak in churches and um, love um, showing people new tools and new ways to open up discussions of life and faith. I'm, involved in, I'm also involved in um, uh, discipleship and in spiritual formation, and I'm very interested in how, um, how we grow as people, all of us, how, how growing happens. Sounds like a simple thing, but I'm very interested in that, particularly um, as I think sometimes evangelists can have a bit of a carry a bit of a perception of, of, of coming in and then withdrawing and I, I'm, I'm really interested in how the journey 
works and how and how we support that too um so um that's not what i do some of who i am cool and just a little bit of of background just as a a little bit of a story what's your story of coming to faith uh in in elevator pitch of of your your story so went to university as a skeptic the questions raised in a artificial intelligence lecture at university doing a degree in computer science and philosophy caused me to start to ask some deep philosophical questions concurrently i was watching films which validated and encouraged my existential my my, my actual heartfelt questions and so my i feel my thinking side my intellectual journey and my existential questions met in a consideration of serious intellectual consideration of theism and of belief in God that eventually and gradually um, turned into a more concrete belief about God showing himself in the person of Jesus in history and I became a, a Christian in my in my first year of uni gradually um, and then that moved from just belief worldview to heartfelt relationship and real encounter with God um, a bit later on during that year amazing and and then from from there fairly quickly into ocker like so no a few really... years later so so i did university did four years at uni or three years at uni and while i was at uni actually i loved being part of an international cafe sharing my faith doing little bible studies with chinese students sometimes and just mm. three weeks after i came to faith i was praying with some chinese students for them to come to faith so amazing outreach and evangelism and sharing my faith was part of my journey from early on um very early on and has always been consistent through as well but um no then after uni i did two years working for uccf and i was involved in creating i was the founding editor of a, an apologetics website for them called bethinking.org mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that was a, a an amazing time of just taking great resources and making those available. I had a, a an amazing programmer guy called Mark um, Harrison who worked with me and um, was um, encouraged by Andy Shudall and by Pod Bogle as well. Good people around mm -hmm. me encouraging me. Rich Cunningham as well encouraging and being very excited about that. And it's been so exciting to see that website growing. I only did it for two years and then went off to do an MA in California um, and then only in 2008 did I then start working for Rocker. Okay, right. So I, I vaguely recall being at university when Be, Think, Be Thinking was started, or I, I recall being one of those resources that, oh, this is quite a good thing starting out, um, but maybe it was a little bit older than it. What, what, so you launched 2005. Okay, yeah, so that was, yeah, first first year of my uni that would make sense and i i remember coming down in 2005 and doing an event at surrey cu okay that was, that was a year before me i started 2006 but yeah. um the resource is great i mean it's such a good mm -hmm. website i know i've always uh, that's always something that i would uh point point people to with because uh, you've got you know i quite like the way it does you've got like introductory resources sort of intermediate ones and then more sort of advanced ones i think mm -hmm. that's such a lovely way of bringing people into to new topics and, and even myself like love you know starting off somewhere you know you listen to a talk read a short article um and it, and it look it's got a nice feel about it as well like it looks good as well i think that's important 
So it's um, I haven't been on there for a little little while, but I'm at, is it still going strong? And uh, it seems so. I mean, I don't have anything good. to do with it now. I just right. it's it's sort of you know just one of those things you do and you don't realise it's going to go on. And I mean, I'm told it's it's really well used. I certainly still mm. use it. Like if I'm writing a talk on something and I'm just like, oh, yeah. I, I need knowledge here. I need some insights, some wisdom. Go and find some some good stuff on there. It's really useful. It's good. It's good. Yeah. Out of curiosity, 2005 when you were speaking was that a gorilla christian event by any chance Might have been. <laughs> it could have been it could have been yeah it could have been i i, I remember there being a uh quite a long wooden stage along one side of the of, of the room um could have been might have been an event on was it on something on bruce almighty maybe yeah maybe i i it's a yeah my um for whatever reason, my first year of uni, it's <laughs> a bit fake, at least oh, my right. first couple of weeks, but um, don't know why that would be. But um, yeah, no, it's, um, I just remember that, that would be my first introduction to the CU, I think, was around that time. So unless unless it was the other side, because I was started it in 2005, September, October. So anyway, that's a fun fact. Um, so going on from be thinking um, and, and where we're kind of discussing today, you, you seem to be known for, uh, and we, we were recommended you by Claire Williams recently. She mentioned your name as, as someone who interacts well with others and definitely helps teach Christians to interact well with others. And it's from her conversation. Then I saw you interacting with a couple of atheists on Twitter and thought, hey, this would be a really interesting conversation. Religion is quite divisive. Um, how do we, as a topic, particularly online, how do we engage uh, a little bit better um, as Christians? So I'd just be interested in, yeah, your your, your thoughts. I, is it religion? Is it humans? Where does this division rise from? Dan can then engage with some other questions as well that he probably has. and. And kind of go from from there. What was your experience of the cause of this? Were you asking Dan or me? Tom, go for it. Okay. <laughs> um, so, I mean, the causes are. I mean, it's multivalent. Just so many different causes. And when you, when it comes to online, just every every cause is available, and everything is playing out simultaneously. Um. But I think one of the things that happens is when you have that separation of the screen and the person who would be in front of you living and breathing with body language and perhaps with tears or with apparent anger or frustration at what you're saying, that whole perceptive possibility is somewhat removed. And especially if we're delivering something and then we're not immediately seeing the reaction to it at least not we can't see somebody's faces i mean i think one of the things that's been interesting about the way that zoom works is or, or the way that all these zoom calls that we've been doing seems to work is that sometimes it sort of maximizes the speaker's view and if you're doing if you're actually speaking if you're at that point presenting you have to do some clicking and sort of find some buttons to even just to view other people's faces and I think that's part of what happens in the online space is you can't see the face of another. Um, I have, I, I think there's a connection here with some of, you know, I don't want to take it too far, but I think that there's a connection here with when you're not looking at somebody's face, you can depersonalize who you're talking about or who you're relating to. 
And actually, if you go further down that road of depersonalizing people, then some quite bad things in human history have happened. Emmanuel Levinas, um, as a survivor of the Holocaust, talks about how not seeing somebody's face or not looking at somebody's face or not taking in and not reacting appropriately to seeing somebody's face is actually what can cause you to have deep derailment in your human morality and, and and can actually really be something that allows evil and cruelty to take place so i mean there are all sorts of other things going on in the background we've got massive politicization of apologetics Mm-hmm. That that's a that's a really big thing, when um, apologetics or when evangelistic ministry or when Christians trying to share their faith, when they touch on issues, and I I, I think it's great that they touch on these issues, but it just has a politicization effect. Os Guinness calls it the politicization of apologetics. So if you're in the states and you're doing a, if you're if you're hosting conversations about general questions about the gospel or about philosophy. And you then touch on, say, start of life or end of life issues. You suddenly find that um, people make political judgments about where you stand. And there's, there's a certain reactiveness around that. Now, you can quite understand people wanting to go there. And the issues are worth talking about. But it all that's in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, and not to mention, you know, I can't see what hurts you guys carry with you now. And and, and and actually, the way we react as people, our worldviews are not just theoretical, abstract things. They are enmeshed with emotional, psychological, spiritual, and all sorts of um, conditions of the soul, conditions of us mor- morally. Um, I, think it's, I think it's interesting. Just final kind of point here. I think it's interesting when Jesus says in John 3, that the reason somebody will recognize him or not recognize him the reason the actual the root thing going on is being willing that they would come into the light and their deeds will be seen he sort of explains a bit more of what's happening in this interaction with nicodemus when nicodemus asks him what do i have to do to inherit eternal life and christ gives him his answer um and Jesus goes on in this discussion to talk about how those who are willing that their deeds will be seen will come into the light and those who are not willing for their deeds to be seen will not. That does connect, I think, at least in Christ's sort of understanding of how we are as human beings in our condition, how we come to see things, decide things, admit things, and even by extension come to Christian faith, come to faith in him. It, it does suggest that there's a moral dimension to worldview and to our choices in the heart, or at least that, that, that our, our choices in worldview are not just abstract, independent things. And all of that's going on in it, when we interact online. All of that's going on. Um, and I don't know, you get the keyboard warrior thing happening. Mm-hmm. We, we rage and we, we all do it. We all sort of find ourselves writing things online that we would never dream of saying to somebody in person. Yeah, yeah, I do. I do. I, I always wonder at that Facebook and Twitter, you know, where they, um, you know, you start typing and you type a message because you're sort of angry. You think, you know, in your head, oh, that's just, that's nonsense. I'm not having that. And then, but you then, before you click, you look at what you've written, you thought, why? Well, I, I don't, I don't need to, I don't need to say it in that tone or I don't need to say it. So I, I've changed. I've gone for my own sort of um, transformation in regards to how I how I spend uh, my time and and engage with people online. 
is I've sort of resigned myself. This is a bit my my sort of redeemed pessimism that I have, but I, I've sort of thought to myself that I when I when I comment often, it's almost out of a sense of my own self self importance, um, as in, and I kind of think, well, sorry about that. My daughter's crying in the background. <laughs> it's all good. But, um, but um, no one really cares what I think in a way. I know that's not. I don't. I mean like that. But I often type. And I think I don't think anyone really cares. Really, really, and that's kind of I, I kind of think. Well, at least the, the person I'm engaging with, if it's like close someone I actually know, I'm more inclined to sort of sort of engage with them. But I've I've mm. kind of taken a step back now from people I don't actually know, because I often think how how rarely we our our beliefs are, are shaped or impacted by people we don't we don't know online. You know, it, it's that, that that's even rare in physical being physically present with somebody you don't know but let alone online um and i know that we can all draw to, to good examples but i've just sort of become a bit more um a bit more negative about on not not intentionally it's just something that sort of happened i just sort of resigned to the fact that people don't really care and it's probably not going to have much of an impact mm. um and so I, I try and make sure that if i'm going to spend time online it's for people you know i, I know well and know and know me a little bit better and i think because of that my how uh, how i what i type and how i type is 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 framed through a lens of friendship in a way that uh, i know i know that person so it doesn't tend to to get aggressive or or, or pointed now as i said i have my failures i do still occasionally engage but um uh, but, but but not 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 quite as much so i don't know do i need to do I, is that wrong do i need to <laughs> i think there's really do I need to get back out there? You know, um, I, 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 suppose, I suppose somewhere there's there's a line between wisdom at not um, wasting time and you know throwing yourself against sort of an impervious kind of object where actually the causes of their criticism, you know, uh, uh, or their rejection of what you're saying is or, or, or Christianity is sort of deeper and you can't get at that. On the other hand. Um, there are examples of where, you know, somebody will just say a little thing and God will use it. And wouldn't one wouldn't want to just completely close the door mm. to the, that little possibility of a God who can change realities using something small that you do to... It's the story of the sort of the loaves and the fish, isn't it, a little bit? Mm. I think it's a good sort of level, though, or especially on Twitter, of not engaging with people who are totally anonymous. And I think that's been my, both my danger, but even in sort of teaching computer science back in the day of e-safety type stuff, the general rule is you shouldn't. But the number of bots, the number of people that aren't who they actually say they are or don't seem to be on Twitter, the number of people that hide behind that anonymity just to stir things. And it's as you say, Tom, There's there is a person behind that, but either then... They might be pretending. They might not be. Uh, they might just be wanting to stir things up. And, and even in this time of misinformation, you just don't know <laughs> who you're talking to. And I guess if you have that as a kind of rule, that's probably a healthy rule to have, especially on a platform like Twitter. If you don't know who they are, probably best not to engage that that much. I think a good question to ask yourself is something like, Am I making, have I made any new friends in the last year? Mm. 
um, and even considering making friends online and, and, and meeting new people, have I made any? And, and if you've made zero, then you're probably leaning a little bit too much towards reticence and caution and holding back. But if, you know, as, as we've just described, you're just drawn into every fist fight or into every interaction, then, you know, obviously there's a bit too too much of a lean forwards. I, I think a lot of it is, I don't know what you think, where a lot of the, the bad, what, what I find most of it is, is often the other engagement, you see other Christians engaging with other people. And you think just like, all right, I might not be able to, I couldn't do any better, but I could do it nicer. And, and, and there is something about um, any belief, like no, hardly anyone. It, it's not that truth doesn't matter. Obviously, I'm not, I'm not negating the, the, the value and, and importance of truth. But anything that's true, irrespective, not just Christianity, um, people are not are very rarely persuaded to, uh, to move away from falsehood to truth by someone who is rude, mean, condescending, even even if what they're saying is true. And it just seems like a lesson that 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 that, that, that Christians you would you would hope and and, and, and would want them to to know that. Uh, but it's often not not the case the case online because I don't know, have you ever been you ever been persuaded by someone who's rude, arrogant and condescending, even though what they're saying is true. It's 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 not very likely. No, I mean, and even if even if something is, even if somebody tells you something that's true and they do it in a condescending, rude way, you don't want a relationship with them afterwards. No. You you don't you don't want to continue friendship with them. Alvin Plantinga has a phrase for this this exact thing you're talking about called hardening the posture. Hmm. And he talks about how whereas a sometimes a confrontational approach will harden the posture, sometimes a less direct approach can actually allow a conversation to happen. I, I mean, mm. I, I think Blaise Pascal is genius. I think he's mm. he balances together some very interesting themes. And if you read the Pensée, um, which as we know, he didn't finish and get to arrange as the way he wanted to arrange it, but you've got um, quite hardcore mathematical philosophical arguments in there, like the wager. And then you've got um, reasonings and fragments and these sort of uh, cumulative case arguments and little snippets that will, could be built into other arguments. You've got classical apologetics about Jesus, traditional sort of historical uh, Christocentric apologetics. Then you've got these quite interesting other reflections that almost cross into existential philosophy, existential kind of literature, where he talks about his understanding of the heart and the will and the mind and the nature of divine revelation in the way it respects and treats different elements in the human in different ways. So there's some passages where he talks about how we're more persuaded by reasons that we discover for ourselves or, mm. or things we discover mm. for ourselves. We're um, more, um, we're, if God could make himself utterly plain to us and utterly clear to the mind, but it might harm or destroy the possibility of something. It, he says it it might help the mind, but it would harm the will or harm the heart. Um, and 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 there can be this sort of I think there's I mean so much of um, what I see online. Um, I think often online falls into what we see online is often a magnification of what's what's in 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 reality. 
Um, and I think that there is a kind of quite confrontational, brash um, way that Christians can sometimes approach. And I know that atheists sometimes don't come bearing gift hampers and flowers. Um, <laughs> I, I, I know I know that there's provocation. Um, mm. But I think there's a real, um, there's a real, uh, there's a higher bar on us mm -hmm. to respond with gentleness and respect. I, mm -hmm. I think we get far too drawn into this brash style. And I think we too often mimic the style of those who criticize us. I don't see the Apostle Paul doing that. No, I mean, there's definitely there's definitely space for polemic. But the thing right. about polemic yeah. is that I don't think polemic works very well uh, unless it's spoken. I think spoken polemic can be really, really potent and powerful. And, and you know, I, I've definitely changed my views listening to, to polemicists sometimes. Um, but it's usually it's usually because I have because it's think about it, if you respect someone, and they're you know you respect them intellectually or you know uh, morally etc and they and they and they present a, a, a polemical argument you know i think you're you, you someone can be persuaded or change their view in light of that but if you polemics online doesn't come across as polemical it just comes across as you being rude and 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 and, and a, a sort of horrible horrible trollish type person so it doesn't it doesn't really cross that medium very well so like, like you're right like um you know for me polemics has a really important place in 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 the christian faith and and mm. the bible is polemical in many in many many places itself um i don't know what you think about that a bit more about the sort of the role of polemics so jay smith's a friend and i've been to hear jay smith who for those who don't know jay smith he's somebody who was the, i think he was I don't know whether he was one of the, the main people, but he certainly, for my mind, st stuck out the most, stuck out the most in terms of people who were going to Hyde Park Corner, Speaker's Corner, and were getting on a stepladder or, or engaging in debate with um, Muslims and people of other perspectives who are there wanting to discuss and argue and heckle each other. I think what I loved about the way Jay did it, um, and I saw him a few times doing it there, and I remember sort of having a cup of tea and debriefing with him a couple of times afterwards as well, what I loved about the way Jay did it was the polemic was fun. It was it, within it. There was respect. He knew people's names. He would do the, what I what I would say is a wink and a smile, um, knowing that he was playing a bit of a game and he wouldn't get himself drawn into about he wouldn't he, he wasn't drawn into it so that you would come away from him going, gosh, I'm not really sure if that guy hates the people he's talking to or not. Whereas sometimes I've seen polemics and I've been unsure of whether or not the person is carrying love or carrying a bit of anger for the people they're talking to. And if there's doubt over that, then polemics is not not the right tool. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, but no, absolutely. Polemics is part of traditional rhetoric and is part of persuasive and it's often a stylistic thing that's related to how cultures express and talk about truths. You certainly see Paul engaging in um rhetoric and using rhetoric through the, through the book of acts and so it's i mean in my mind it's it's deeply theologically justified yeah i think the thing is that that word gentleness that sometimes gets uh a little bit of a model because polemic and gentle sometimes don't necessarily go together and the 
the sort of the pushback on gentle is generally, but I have to speak truth in love. And that sometimes means I have to demolish ideas. And I've had that kind of interaction of, I have to demolish these barriers before I can bring the gospel or bring the gospel along with demolishing. I don't even know what demolishing an idea really looks like. Cause generally when someone says they've debunked <laughs> something, they've generally missed the point altogether and, and they're starting to make themselves look a little bit foolish. Um, but the, I know I was just, what, what you're thinking. I, I read recently from, um, I've been reading through uh, Nick Page's book of like early church um, history, which is quite fun, actually. Highly recommend it. It's e- easy to read and, and quite a laugh. But his, his quote from the Didache, Didache, did, uh, it's whatever it is. <laughs> There's a lot of debate about how we say that. The Didache, yeah. the Didac, yeah. Which, Didac, yeah. We um, haven't solved it yet. <laughs> um, but just, just very much, I mean, it's talking about. Uh, the spirit of a prophet, but not everyone who speaks in the spirit is a prophet, but only if he exhibits the Lord's ways. If any prophet teaches the truth, yet does not practice what he teaches, he is a false prophet. So we've got this idea of you might be able to speak the truth, but if you're living out a way that completely contradicts what you're trying to say, like, I I love you, but I'm going to attack and demolish everything that you hold dear, (laughs) your very identity, it's very hard to pick someone's relationship back up when you've trampled everything that they've they love uh, and uh, and hold dear, even if you've done it truthfully. Um, so I, yeah, I, I think I'm not sure where the, there's a question in that, but I think maybe maybe to this is more to the Christians, I guess. If, if you've got a Christian who comes to you and says, "I need to demolish an idea before I could share the gospel." What would be your response to that? How how would you in, engage with them? I mean, Paul does talk about um, a ministry in 2 Corinthians 10 of um, pulling down strongholds of ideas, engaging in arguments, and uh, demolishing ideas that stand in opposition and in front of the gospel. So certainly we can see theological justification for it but that's not all that's said in the new testament we don't simply take the demolishing and say well that's all we need to do we just go around demolishing um my um grandfather was the uh largest civil demolition contractor in london during the end of the second world war and so i'm a family from a family of um demolition men or at least my grandfather was (laughs) and um i think um I mean, there's there's no real point to that. Just uh, <laughs> I, I know a bit about demolition, um, both from my uh, uh, errant school chemistry, which didn't always take place in chemistry labs, um, but also family. Um, it, it, once you've had some basic training in logic and philosophy, it's actually quite easy to demolish arguments that people raise. And you can make yourself feel a bit better if you're insecure. You can make yourself feel a bit more powerful. And... I think that's why in 1 Peter 3.15, the gentleness and respect and the giving the reason comes after setting apart Christ as Lord. Because something happens when you put Christ as number one in your heart. When you, when you bow your heart and mind to Christ, he then becomes the primary source of your identity. You don't have to win debates. Hmm. to 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 feel valuable or meaningful or like you are functioning well you 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 don't have to do that because christ says you're okay 
you're forgiven, you're right. And so you go into those discussions in, a, in a, I think, in a slightly less defensive way, in a slightly more open-handed way, and you're less likely to do that thing where you're just sort of throwing out naked assertions, and you're more willing to sort of show your reasoning and to engage with that. Like, I think there's a real place for robust reasoning with skeptics. I don't want to. I don't. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not against that. I think that's part of it. But um, what we need to really remember is that most of the people who are angriest about god and are angriest about religion are people who have good reason to be because they've been hurt by christians mm -hmm. and when and that's not that's not to say everybody who has an angry position towards god has been hurt but, but i think a, a number have a number mm -hmm. have so when I think when somebody's angry, when I remember being in a skeptics meeting, I was invited by a couple of skeptics societies. Um, one in there's one in High Wycombe. I went to and one in Henley, and um, they invited me to come and do a lecture on uh, critical thinking and logic for atheists. So I took my critical thinking course, and um, some of the examples are of Christians doing bad thinking. Some of the examples are of, are of atheists doing bad thinking. I went and presented my some of my critical thinking material to them, and did the session on logic. And um, I remember having a drink with one particular guy afterwards, and he was just yelling at me, um, and he wouldn't listen. And I was trying to sort of have a conversation with him, but he just he just was sort of very, very loudly talking at me. And I don't think he even really, you know, engaged with me at all. Um, and in fact, the other atheists afterwards all said, it didn't seem like he really wanted to talk. He was letting something out at you. He was sort of venting a bit. Um, and so I think we always need to sort of have that, that eye on things that we're, that, that people come, it's sort of, you know, applying the thought of be kind. After Robin Williams um, passed away, there was this sort of movement. Obviously, you don't know the battles other people are fighting, so mm -hmm. always be kind. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think we need to remember that for apologetics. I'd love to see online apologetics <coughs> adopting be kind. Yeah, that would be ideal. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm. Again, my independent pessimist can't see it happening. Um, <laughs> The, I mean, I know part of it. I always think that is because men tend to love apologetics. Like, it's awesome that there are loads of women that that um, you know. As I said, I always say I think most of the the the, the best evangelists I know tend to be women, and, and uh, you know, from my my experience, and um, and there there is something about men that we just we just love arguing we just want to we want to win every fight you know we don't go to war as much anymore so we have to this is all we can get is winning and arguing <laughs> with you know some unnamed person on twitter or something i'll kill but people you know, on Fortnite and then yeah. i'll beat people in arguments yeah it, it is there's something about the male ego that 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 as much as because i often i sometimes again i because I don't post as much, but I do. I do sort of lurk around, not in a creepy way, but I, I lurk <laughs> around, just sort of just reading, reading threads, and 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 listening, and seeing. Oh, how 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 is that Christian engaging with that person? What is that person saying? And um, it's just it's just it's just in, interesting to, to 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 see what yeah how how the, the, the how how they're engaging, and, and sometimes you just read threads, you think that they're not. They're, they're talking past others. They just—they both want to win. They both want to win the fight, and no one's no one's in the pursuit of truth here. 
Uh, no one's trying to persuade of truth. Someone just wants mm. to be perceived as the winner by other people viewing. And that just strikes me as a really ungodly, horrible way to engage with someone. But it's so hard because I don't want to I don't want to I don't want people to think I've lost the argument. Mm. I want to win the arguments. But that shouldn't be that shouldn't be the not not at all cost. That sh that shouldn't be the goal. But I think for many people, if we're honest, sometimes that is the goal. And and often it's really it's really obvious. And you tell that's just something that's driven by the male ego and not by the love of the person, uh, the love of the gospel and, and wanting to, to share Christ with that person. Um, how do we, you know, how, how do we change, change that? How do we, how can we, how can we improve Tom? We've well, already said some things. I but... mean, I think, I think I remember when John Lennox was doing a, a sequence of debates when he was really in the thick of conversations and debates with Christopher Hitchens and with um, Richard Dawkins. He, he was just, I mean, every, every month or so he was doing a, a really major new atheist intellectual skeptic. And I remember hearing him and talking to him a little bit about how he was going into it and whether he felt pressure and, it was, I think it was quite tough. Um, but one of the things he said has always, I've always remembered it. And, it, and, it, and I've gone into, tried to go into public Q&A or into sometimes when I've been presenting arguments for the existence of God among skeptics and just anticipating their questions. I think, I think what he said was quite instructive. He said this, he said, I'm not going in to win, but I'm just going in to explain how my faith is reasonable to me how it makes sense to me. Mm. And I think he just sort of, now he he's brilliant. I think he actually won <laughs> most <laughs> of the debates I saw him doing. Mm. But but I think it, it, you could think that he went in to win. I don't think he did. I think he went in and he was quite interested in friendship. Um, I remember him talking about having dinner with Hitchens and car rides with um, various atheists as they went on their way to do things. Um, mm. I think his latest book was actually credited, uh, the, the title of it, it was it 2084? Um, the title of it is actually created, credited to a, an atheist he met on a car journey down to do an event together in Southampton. Um, it was that, uh, it, was, it was with Peter Atkins, the- uh, Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think he, he came up with it. I think John, John mentioned that as well. Hmm. So I don't think we go in to win. I think we go in to, to show that we're reasonable. And I yes, I think there are, are biological, and you know at the risk of a bit of stereotyping i think there are some 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 ruts or pathways or tendencies in us as human beings into maybe into men maybe into women in different ways mm. that do sort of create tendencies but you know we We've got to take note of what I mean. Dallas Willard, in his in in the last, I I, I think Dallas Willard Dallas Willard was a gift to the church. I think he was one of the most important theological and philosophical thinkers of the last generation. Um, in his last book that he didn't get to finish, um, but this is a book on the power of gentleness. It's in a most extraordinary book. Um, he opens the book with this question: How did Christ change the world? and be understood by most people to be gentle. How did Christ with his gentleness change the world? We tend to think that you have to be robust and confident and strong and forthright and, you know, 
confrontational in order to change the world. Somehow Christ changed the world through gentleness. Yeah, yeah, okay, Jesus stood up for things and he turned over temples and he showed his power over the storm. But at the moment of his greatest victory, the cross, was actually a moment of weakness and gentleness where he, he was walking in the will of the Father. Maybe it's to do with what Tolkien is telling us about the nature of strength and power. You think of Aragorn, you think of the hobbits. Aragorn goes to serve. He's serving among the Rohirrim, the riders, for a long time. Um, and they they don't know his name. He's just the rider, the the, the wanderer. Um, and then when he, he, he moves from place to place serving people, this is, this is sort of what a real king does, what Aragorn does. And the hobbits are not seen or perceived by Sauron or Saruman because they're too weak to be a threat. He's, he's looking for strength. So I think sometimes when we go into these online debates and confrontations, we think I've got to win, got to, maybe what we understand true strength to be is different from what God understands true strength and true victory to look like. Um, huh. The, it, it seems that, I mean, I, I'm, I love a good debate and I, and I get drawn into it and I love it. And I think that's, there's a really healthy side to that. Um, a robust exchange of ideas. I'm from a family of lawyers. My grandfather was a barrister. My father's a lawyer. Um, my brother was a lawyer. My, I mean, pretty much everybody in my family is a lawyer. Um, apart from those apart from the demolition people. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so, you know, one side tears it down, the other side sort of, you know, involved in building it up and selling it. But, 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 but I, I love robust debate and discussion. Um, but um, like, what is real strength? Mm. That's a, a real potent question. I, I haven't read as much of Dallas Willard as I like. I've had, um, was it conspiracy? Um, is it great? Divine conspiracy. conspiracy. Yeah, divine conspiracy. That's right. And um, had that on Audible. And yeah, lots of good stuff that makes you think things through well and uh yeah i have to kind of go back on that there's a question here just oh sorry go on dan no You're i was just gonna say tom this is a little bit of a direction change you you um i i always like listening to people like you who have this like you obviously like reading fiction right yeah you like big fiction fan i really don't like fiction like i <laughs> like i've probably read less than 10 fiction books my whole life um and people always make me feel like i always feel like i'm um now like people are saying oh you need to read more fiction you need to read more fiction um and the way you when you start using stories from from fiction i always find that uh, i like i like that um what what sort of what, what books should i read fiction <laughs> books well, read what, read what you because, enjoy. Read, read. Don't struggle through something that's rubbish or that you, that you doesn't appeal to you. You need to read something you want to read the next chapter. See, you start talking about the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings and all the talking stuff, and I read it. It. Uh, I think maybe I'm not wired to enjoy fiction because I really want <laughs> to enjoy like reading the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings. But I just don't do it, and then I and even when I read it, I can't. I can't think of it in the way that you you start talking about you know all that amazing stuff you were just talking about you know strength and 
I don't even. It doesn't. It doesn't strike me <laughs> at that level. All I'm thinking, all I read, I just think. I just think I could be watching a DVD instead, and it would take much less time. <laughs> and, and that's horrible. It's horrible. It it's such a horrible. It's such a horrible way to think. Um, but, um, I get that, uh, and everybody has their thing, and we're not all the same, and that's okay. Um, but I would say um, that we're all richer from finding the part of the arts which connects with us mm. and 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 don't let anybody intimidate you and not liking fiction and make you feel <laughs> uncultured but but equally they're probably you know types of music or types of some part of the the whole spectrum of human artistic creative endeavor oh. there's probably some part of that that you love that speaks to you bring that in bring that into what you do and, and is there nothing is that do you listen to music in the car I, I like music. I've got quite an eclectic sort of music taste. I do, I do like music. I like a bit of, uh, I like some art, but I only, I only like art that I couldn't create myself. So I have a real disdain for sort of contemporary modern art because <laughs> even though I know I couldn't come up with the actual idea, if someone was like, oh, I could, I could actually recreate it. Whereas if I look at like a, you know, a picture of, you know, you know, uh, Garden of Earthly Delights by Hieronymus Bosch, I can't recreate that. I'm in awe of it. You know, if I, you know, that's the sort of stuff, the stuff that like, I guess you, you get that sense of awe from art because you just think part, partly because you can recreate it yourself, but that, that, that someone has the gift to make, um, you know, what's real, real again, but in a different, you know, different context, you know, on paper or, yeah. or, you know, like that, that, that does give me a sense of awe. But, um, but when but you listen not. to like, what's your, what sort of music do you love to listen to? Um, oh gosh, Lana Del Rey. I, like, I love it. I do. I do like a bit of Lana Del Rey at the moment because, again, Tom, you might know I'm, I'm quite me melancholy, and I, I, I just, I just, I just like it, it's sad. I quite like sad music. I like country music, uh, but I also like quite upbeat. Um, cool, you know, like I get that. I used to, I used to listen to the Manic Street Preachers, so I understand melancholy music. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I found it by accident. Because uh, we shared the same YouTube channel, and suddenly I was getting all these Lana Del Rey <laughs> recommendations. It's like Dan, has Mel, has Mel been uh, listening to the YouTube? And he uh, it, it was actually honest with me. And now it's honest to the. She's got a philosophy world. degree. She's got a philosophy degree. She's a, she's <laughs> yeah, a clever yeah. girl. Yeah, I mean, like, she, her and, lyrics are like London grammar, slightly similar sound as well. Yeah, yeah. London grammar, good. Oh, I'm into that. Theology degree from Durham, lead singer. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Um, so here's a question to ask yourself when you're listening or watching something. It's a question I always try to ask is, what is this saying? What is it getting at? What is it saying? And you can watch, you can ask that question when you've watched an episode of Star Trek or you've listened to a Lana Del Rey song or mm. if you've just, if you've just watched a, a major blockbusting film or if you're walking around an art gallery, what yeah. is the saying? What is it what is its topic? What's its question? What's it getting at? You don't need any more than that. Just start with that, and you'll find that things fall more open for you. Hmm. No, I think that, that's a really that's a really helpful question. I think it's often like I, you know, I watch or or will listen to something. I I don't know what questions to ask, but actually, that's that's such a, a simple um, question to kind of reflect on. Hmm. I think this is quite interesting. Your point though, because I think there's some some people feel the same way towards the Bible as you do towards art and and getting into books uh, like fiction books that i 
yeah, and someone reading Numbers <laughs> or reading even reading Genesis just put puts people off because they just don't know how to access or unlock that. And I think just like we need to almost read the Bible in community, often art needs to be explored in community and um, have people talking about it and and. I think is it having someone like yourself, Tom, sharing a theme from a movie where like, oh, I was really bored in that movie, and then suddenly you're like, oh, maybe I have to engage with that with that in mind, and it will unlock something. Maybe it won't. Maybe it will. But I, I think that's kind of, in some ways, what happens to us when we engage with the Bible. When someone's like, well, there's here's this theme, spot this theme running through, and see how that gives us hope and points us to Christ. And you're like, oh, that's unlocked a whole world for me, uh, in in a way that haven't been interested in or engaged with before um do you find that you do you find you sort of look for redemptive themes like in things like i I don't uh, yeah i don't try to christianize it too much too quickly i'm just looking for what it's saying and what the filmmaker or what the artist or what the writer is trying to or the songwriter what what are they putting out there what are they saying from themselves what are they what are they kind of trying to illustrate or trying to i i I read a quote from an artist i think it was his name is russ lawhead and he said what the artist is fundamentally trying to do is trying to say something that's real and find a connection around that with other people so the artist in some way is trying to be emotionally honest trying to be honest about their perception of reality and looking for other people to say yeah i feel the same i get I, i feel the same about that so i think just did you hear what I was saying then, Dan, when the camera went? Or do you want me to? Yeah, okay, yeah no, cool. I was, yeah, I can still hear. Thank you. Cool. Um, so I think just sort of looking for looking for honesty. And, and actually, to be honest, that is exactly the same thing that we should be doing when we're interacting with people who um, are journeying towards Christ. Find where we're open. Find where the truth is. Find where the reality is. That's exactly what Paul teaches us in Acts 17. Where is the... The, the moment of openness, where's the confession of agnosticism that the altar to the unknown God represents? Where's the open door for the revelation of God to come and be welcome in the quote from Epimenides or from Aratus, in him we live and move and have our being, um, we are his offspring. Um, when we when we have a conversation with somebody and we, and we ask them, so one of the questions I quite like asking skeptics when I'm having conversations with people who who, who don't stand where I stand is to ask them this question. What's the strongest argument for theism? What's the strongest reasoning for theism you've heard? And I've always been intrigued when Richard Dawkins has been asked that question, always been fascinated by his answer to that. Um, and he says a few different things at different times, but I think that that also gives an indication of how worthwhile the conversation is, which speaks to some of what you were s- sort of wondering about Dan is it worth wasting my time is it worth having a conversation but if somebody will respond to that question of where's the strong what would be the thing that would persuade you what would you need to be persuaded i thought that justin Brierley had a had a really interesting question with um the what's the name of that of, of the uh british conservative thinker um who who is kind of like the uk equivalent to the canadian psychiatrist um, he wrote a book Douglas called The Madness. Douglas Murray? Douglas Murray. Douglas Murray, right. So Justin Briley had this conversation with Douglas Murray, and Justin Briley asks him on The Unbelievable Show, he says, 
what would it take for you to believe in God? What have you have you had an answered prayer before? I think that's a very very interesting question. We used to have it as one of the exercises um, for Oka students. Vince Vitale came up with it. I thought it was brilliant. He said, "Okay, I've just been teaching you about arguments for the existence of God after his kind of philosophy course that he used to teach," um, and he then invited the students as their assignment to go out into the city of Oxford and they had to find an atheist and they had to ask an atheist um, what it would take for them to believe in God. I thought it was a really interesting question. There's this story of one particular student who after the lecture took this in hand, went and did it, power to them, and went into a costa in the middle of Oxford and quietly said to the barista, um, I'm looking for an atheist. I want to ask them a question about what it would take for them to believe. Um, do you mind if I ask at a couple of tables? And the, barist, barist, the, the barista said this, I can do one better for you. And so the barista stands back, opens up and, and yells, is there an atheist in here? I'm looking for an atheist who will talk to this person and tell them what it would take for them to believe. Is, are there any atheists in here? And everybody just hides behind their newspapers and their coffees and nobody comes forward. And one of the other baristas leans forward and says, I can take my lunch break in five minutes and I'll tell you why I'm an atheist and what it would take for me to believe. And the student and this barista, a female barista, had this really interesting question, had conversation. And the barista said, do you know what it would take for me to believe that God exists? It would take a, a, a personal prayer being answered because then I would know that God knew about me. Now that might, other people might demand more than that, but I thought that was quite an honest answer. And I loved the, I mean, I think the, just contemplating hypothetically, going and doing that in Starbucks, you know, post vaccinations and everything, but <laughs> contem contemplating, going to do that and going to talk to people and even asking people around us, what would it take for you to believe? It, it does, it, do, it is, it is, it's both a good exercise for us of coming out of debate mode, coming into listening mode. Mm -hmm. And also it's good for them to just think, have that moment of, okay, what would it, what, it, what would it really take? Yeah. There's a, a couple of questions coming into the chat that sort of around this idea of gentleness and how we practically engage. One of which being back on Twitter, like, what, what are thoughts on blocking people on Twitter? Should we hang on to the tiniest possibility of one day drawing someone into a fruitful conversation or is it better to shut out abusive people and move on? <laughs> Maybe that applies to more than just Twitter. <laughs> sure it does. But uh, yeah, what, what are your thoughts on, because um, there, there are, Maybe I'll extend it, the question a little bit is that there's this trend with sort of positive thinking and um, life gurus and self-leadership of only surrounding pe yourselves with people that are uh, bringing positivity and encouragement uh, to your day, which it, I've I found some Christians going down that road as well. You do you. Yeah, you do. You do. <laughs> so, how how as Christians do? We, I guess it's how do the question is how we balance evangelism because evangelism is meant to go to people we don't know and may have conflict with us. So, what what are your thoughts on that, Tom? There's there's quite a lot in there. I think you can tell the difference between somebody. Maybe it's hard sometimes, but I think you can mostly tell the difference between somebody who's being abusive and is just angry and is being unpleasant they 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 just you can you can just you can pick up the rage i think if you've had any kind of into like <laughs> online interactions and then you also need to draw a distinction between them and people who might swear and people who might 
um, be quite strong, but actually are wanting an answer. Now, there are people who will ask you trick questions and they will try to trip you up and they'll try to get you to look stupid. Um, they're in there as well. And sometimes those people, you can actually, that you can have some fruitful conversations with them. It, it depends a little bit. Um, I would say you probably want to, instead of cutting people off, you probably want to just limit your online exposure generally rather than um, creating echo chambers. Having said yeah. that, if if somebody's being unpleasant, then um, you don't feel like you're responsible for their eternal salvation. God is responsible for them. Um, it's okay to have boundaries where you protect yourself from, from people being abusive. Um, you don't have to feel like you have to keep being open to that abuse because how else will they hear the gospel? Let, 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 that's, that, that's okay. God, God doesn't mind you being protective around your own um, health. Um, but um, let me tell you a, a little bit of a story about a friend of mine. Um, the person who was most upset that I became a Christian at university was my friend, um, John. And he, 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 he thought I'd thrown away my intellectual credibility. He thought that I had made an error. And we talked a lot about it. And he was not sympathetic to my Christian belief. Um, about 10 years after that antagonism started to soften a bit and we started to have more interesting, more open questions about faith, just over a long journey of years. And I'd been praying for him for a long time. It was such a joy to go and visit him after he'd been at Labrie for a year and to watch him being baptized in the pond in the, out the front of Labrie in Hampshire and he was willing to go into freezing cold water to declare his new faith in Christ. Wow. Um, so don't give up on the hard nuts. Um, God, God has a way of coming through and reaching. Um, but um, you also need to stay healthy. I think there is a danger, a bit of a danger with creating echo chambers. You've got, you've got to be open to, to ideas and criticism and you've got to be willing to read the books and, to engage with the ideas. Um, does social media count as an exposure to other voices? I mean, it just, it's sometimes so toxic. I just think, I think anybody who spends more than about 20 minutes a day on social media is, is in some way putting themselves into quite an unhealthy, toxic environment. And I, I'd really say, you know, just try to try not to go on for too long and just make sure you know who you are before you go on. And if you find yourself getting, you know, uh, drawn in in the wrong way, then just take a couple of days off. It's okay. It'll take care of itself. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think that's something that I have to keep reminding myself personally, just just from even just sharing stuff with, with Critical Witness and just sharing out and, and then you get drawn into something and another conversation or, and it can be something that's funny at one point and then it's actually really like, uh, uh, it's the jumping between topics suddenly as well that probably does my, my head in. You end up, with 10 different topics in your head with only 10 minutes of uh, sitting there and you do come out, I find I can get quite tired <laughs> after all that and you just end up being a little bit at a loss of uh, maybe who, even who, who you are a little bit. You just become a little bit jaded with with things, life, and lockdown's probably made that even more intense for, I know it has for me and, and probably has for 
for many people. Well, I think we're using social media more now because it gives us a sense of productivity. And we're all on this pause, work, pause, work thing. And time, mm -hmm. our relationship to time has gone, has been really ruptured. So post March 2020, most of us were in a fairly consistent relationship with past, present, future. Suddenly, we're thrown into a totally different situation, practically, personally, and it begins to sort of change. And we start living more for the future and looking back at the past more with blame. And we start wondering what we're doing in the present because many of us are furloughed and can't work or don't know what we're meant to be doing. Or we're suddenly homeschooling. And now we're sort of thrown into massive economic uncertainty and um, we're wondering what we're looking forward to. And I think we're in the middle of this massive upset of, of our relationship to time at the moment and how we account for and make sense of what we're doing and how we're being productive. Um, and I, I think quite a lot of the, our use of social media and our use of the online space is a little bit of a mask for not doing that much stuff in the real world anymore. Um, I, I always feel, um, and I, I, you know, I, I set up some online apologetics ministry, be thinking. Um, I've also set up a worldview analysis system, which is designed for conversations for people, for people to have between each other called beliefmapping.com. I've just created a new thing called foundinfilm.com, which is a film discussion um, outreach for people to use for film discussions. Um, I'm a big believer in online ministry, but I, I, a little bit of an alarm bell goes off in my mind when somebody says, I'm going to create a blog about apologetics, or I'm going to create an online website to answer people's questions. And my advice is usually, I might give different advice this year, but my advice is usually do it in the real world with real people, learn how to relate to people in these in doing this get get a little bit of time under your belt doing that get some experience and you'll write and create things in different ways that appeal people instead of sometimes getting their backs up mm. the interesting yeah. thing about that as well is that you often find when you look at like a an apologetics blog is they're engaging questions that 99 percent of people don't ask honestly mm. half the one yeah i've actually maybe twice in my whole life have i ever met anyone um that didn't believe jesus existed and we had to talk about the christ myth and and richard carrier and and uh you know first you know you know historiography and and um you know all, all, all sorts of things like that and and yet if you if you look on obviously online yeah but if you're like you said if someone's starting a blog don't you know that's usually like a red flag i'm like I don't think you actually, I'm not sure if you speak to people in real life because no one asked those questions, you know, it, or they start doing a, a nine part series on the ontology, you know, on ontological <laughs> argument. No one, no one, there's no, I've never met any person in real life um, had any interest in the ont ontological argument other than if they're doing, <laughs> uh, unless they're doing a level RE. Yeah. No Maybe one. Then. Yeah. No one. And that's why I don't like I've I've you know, I've watched some videos, you know, I've I've read some philosophy of religion books about it and ah, it's interesting, but I don't care. No, and 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 it doesn't, it's like it, it intellectual, I'm like, wow, that's that's really clever. Like, yeah, I'm not sure if I'm not sure how I can show that's wrong. Like, but 
uh, it doesn't make me want to believe God exists uh, any, 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 any more than I already did. Um, mm. And it's just those kinds of things. So the, the, there is often this, this dictionary, and I, I think that winds me up a little bit about um, apologetics sometimes. It, it, like, you, like you said, like it's, it's not, it, it, I don't know, it just, it just seems sort of like, could, time time could be better spent elsewhere, perhaps having real real conversations mm. with, with with people with the questions they have. They're usually like, "Well, my nan died," you know, or you know, "What? How can I believe God exists because my nan died?" Or "How mm. do I believe God exists because this happened to me when I was growing up?" Or, or you know, "What? You know, okay, I've heard more like the Crusades. Um, you know, what about mm. you know? There's, there's also things. That, that, that it's most often sort of related to some sort of experience uh or 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 reason that that um sort of tarnishes um the claims you're trying to the the good and true claims you're trying to make about christ and the church yeah i think that's just the rant sorry yeah no it's i I think there's something we we keep it coming back to though on on our conversations is the place of apologetics and its relationship with evangelism do you need to be an apologist to be an evangelist? Do you need to be an evangelist to be an apologist? Um, and I think it's probably more that way around that your evangelism should be for about the love for the other, the reaching out with a better story and more about learning about the other as well to figure out what questions they are asking before bringing in an, an apologetic um, and even possibly before polemic i mean the the idea that paul just walked into Acts 17 without having done a bit of research about the unknown god and and looked into the poets is, is yeah that's that's nonsense he would have had a walk <laughs> looked around asked some questions engaged with some people and and then he knew oh okay that's that's a good place to I- engage here um plus a bit of the holy spirit i'm sure at the, in the moment um but I think we we have this idea that I I know that you need Jesus. Therefore, I know you need these answers. And therefore, I'm going to tell you what before I've even really got to know you. And no wonder people's backs are up by the time we we get to the point of the gospel. Um, So, yeah, just kind of on that, just doing a little bit further. There is a question here. So maybe it will kind of help our conversation go a little bit further. Um, So, Tom, you... I, I know the answer to the question a little bit, uh, and and uh, Dean London Theist missed the early part where you'd been sharing your story a little bit with with Chinese students early on in your uh, journey. Maybe how would you recommend people get to know other people from other faiths, particularly? Uh, what's your experience? How do you encourage people in Ocker to do that, to get offline and meet meet people? What kind of things would you recommend? So. I think that um, I think that theology of culture is really important, um, and that we have to understand that um, our use of friendship and our our engagement with the world and with culture is it's it, it can be richer than just using it redemptively for evangelistic purposes or for reaching people for outreach the the vision i believe god has for every single person and why he created us was that he wants us to be involved in creative 
enjoyable work for his glory. Um, and that includes all the different kinds of creative things that we need to do to be part of society and to be to be building civilization from starting businesses to performing in comedy clubs to um, doing podcasts to raising families to building buildings and creating computer chips growing crops all of it Mm. And, and and it's not that that stuff is valuable because we can use it for evangelism or for outreach. It's 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 just valuable. It's it's a healthy way of living, and that's how we're made to live. And if we're flourishing and living well and living in the in the image of God and living in the creation culture mandate, what sometimes it's called, then we're going to have people around us. We're going to be mixing. We're going to be mingling. We're going to have friends. The Evangelical Alliance recently did some research, just published it week before last, I think. And it was asking a question, what's the biggest barrier to you sharing your faith? And they asked, you know, a thousand or so Christians. And the number one barrier at 44% was, I don't know any people who are not mm. Christians. And so my feeling is, is that film clubs like foundinfilm.com or um, hobbies, um, maybe, you know, get a drone and join a drone club. Um, maybe join a sports club after COVID. Um, maybe, um, you know, being involved with the PTA or um, finding ways to invest in your community and not just, not, not just sort of for evangelistic purposes, but actually build friendships. Then that's the best way to meet people, to engage with people is, is live a healthy life and then <laughs> fix your neighbor's gutters. Um, you know, that sort of stuff is how you is how you have a bridge to have conversations. Now, there are certain gathering points where people can have conversations intentionally and they you, you can find those meeting points, you know, dialogues and, you know, helping on an alpha course, you know, and those sorts of things. But um, and I think there's something we could recover here as well. I think. I think what, what 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 it would be really amazing to see is evangelists and congregations, people drawn to outreach, people who want to witness. I think um, we should depend less on pastors to come up with ideas for evangelism and outreach. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's often their gift set. Quite often, they they are they have to be experts in so many different things. I think we need to see the. the the entrepreneurial initiative taking evangelist being um, encouraged to create events, supper parties, um, color runs, sports events, so that there can be the opportunity to sort of put out that wide net, that wide funnel and say, hey, we're here. If you want to have conversations about faith, we're not going to preach at you and trick you into sort of coming to this event and then do a half an hour talk at you. But if you're there and you want to explore these things, then um, then, then come into the conversation with us. I mean, why not get a handful of alpha invites and put them through the doors in your neighbourhood? Why not start a little film discussion club with your neighbours during the next couple of weeks? Use some of those resources on Found in Film or other things. Um, find the people around you who are interested, who are open. And that, that, that's, for me, the the way through. It's got to be natural. Like, it, you've gotta, it's got to be friendship's sake for friendship's sake. Hmm. But in, but in loving people, and there is a question here about do you like people? And I think a lot of apologists and people involved in apologetics need to ask themselves that question. 
do you like people? And if you don't, is that where God wants you to stay? Um, mm. and, I, and, and I think that we all express that and, and, and live that in different ways. And there are all sorts of ways we express our care and our interest in other people. But I think we're meant to be, I'm an introvert. And so I have tend to have few, but very close friends. But I'm I'm trying to live this out as I'm saying I'm trying to I'm trying to build new friendships with people and trying to trying to live in this kind of way. I think that's what we need to be doing. Mm. There there is a lot in that, and I think it's something that I found in the last two years, partly because I have the privilege, and I think more the more time I'm out of teaching, the more I, I realise it's a privilege the job that I'm doing, where I'm actually able to have that time to literally meet up with an international student, go for a walk, show them the town, have a chat. And and by the time you're sort of an hour and a half around the town, you're talking about, I was talking to, to a Nigerian friend about sort of colonial powers in Nigeria and the impact that's had on him and, and sort of the past history of Nigeria and things like that. And so sort of comparing that to my background as a, in Papua New Guinea and their history of colonialism and, and stuff like that. And, and you're suddenly talking these deep topics while you're, in the Surrey Hills walking around. And, and so you're allowed to go for a walk in lockdown, for, for, offer an opportunity to go with a neighbor for a walk and, and explore your area or, or, or something <laughs> like that can, can be done and get away from the screens. And, and then you share a little bit of your life. And I, I think there's a huge part of what I do as well, which is put, put challenging the church to be, finding this idea of christian hospitality again where it's not about come dine with me make your house amazing and make the best dinner but it's about just having a spank bowl <laughs> and having the door open where, where someone just can walk in and sit in the couch and watch your tv and whether you talk or not is kind of optional and and you just share life um and i i think in in some cultures that's a lot easier in british culture that that's not very british <laughs> you don't you don't knock on your neighbor's door and say can i come in that's a bit rude and presumptuous but i think there's a a, a way of doing that in a british way that says actually my door is open even when it looks closed and and i think we've got to find that way of connecting with our neighbors and making those opportunities and i, I was i don't know what the solution is because when i was a teacher I didn't have those opportunities mainly because I was busy marking and, and swamped with work and family came as a priority. And, and therefore when you're not working you're with family and when you're not with family, you're in church and then you have this sort of vicious cycle of, well, church has got me these two nights a week. Marking's got me these four nights a week. My family has me once a week <laughs> or, or hopefully a better priority set of priorities. And that when, when do I meet people? Um, and I think that's a, big challenge for a lot of people um the and if my my colleagues don't want to chat or if i'm in a job that i can't say something that might offend my colleague yeah it's um, tough and, it, and sometimes all you can do is pray and just mm. hope for a moment where you can have a deeper chat one day about it mm -hmm. but but at the very least we can be praying for the people around us we can be encouraging um, them in, in, in other things that we see them doing, even if we don't get to have that sort of deeper interaction with them. Um, I remember at uni, I was sharing a house with a group of boys and I'd come to faith and 
there were 10 of us in this one house oh. it was it was it was pretty messy <laughs> um we had rats actually we had a we had a scaling tower scaffolding tower in the back garden which we used to leap off into a paddling pool and um it was it was hilarious all our friends knew our house as the big dump <laughs> um but but um i remember praying for the people around me when i was too nervous to talk to them and i had some amazing little breakthroughs just that i wouldn't have expected it's not on us to just motivate and, and engineer social interactions just pray just mm -hmm. pray just um remember people in prayer be a faithful prayer it's very very interesting to hear about what's happening um in people's lives after you've been praying for them for a while and it's it always just blows my socks off and just just kind of surprised by it i um when i was when i was studying at reading 24 7 the prayer organization set up a boiler room in the city center and um there was just this amazing fusion of prayer and a prayer room at the same time as loads of detached youth work some of it's in the story some of the stories are in the book um is it red moon rising and punk monk mm -hmm. as well mm -hmm. um and um we used to as a cu uh, at reading we used to host the thursday evening prayer slot we used to go overnight after cu we'd usually hire a minibus and then um we'd somebody would do like this sort of CU safety bus dropping people back through the night and um but we, we'd stay awake all night and we'd we'd build a skateboard course we'd do praying we'd do painting we'd look after drunk friends who would come back from clubs and would come and say i you know i can i talk and uh, i remember leading one friend uh to christ after a, he'd sobered up after going to a club and came to hang out with us for a while um mm -hmm. so i think that there needs to be a, a, a we need to blend in more prayer into our outreach and into our conversations we're not doing this alone and we can always pray um i've seen more i've seen a lot of different events i've spoken and been involved in hundreds and hundreds of events over the last 12 years i've seen far more achieved through prayer um hmm. <laughs> that's, that's huge what um so you, tom uh, earlier you talked uh, about pascal and you and you and you said the name of his book in a way that I've never heard. I've always called it Penzies, but then I'm, 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 I'm someone who got told off. I remember I was at the British Museum once and um, I thought I was being clever. The guy was like, I was doing a tour and he's like, oh, does anyone know what this language is? And I said, uh, anyone? I looked him up, cuneiform. Oh. And he sort of looked at me and he just went, cuneiform. <laughs> oh. What's Sorry, the shame, shame me in front of everyone. Cuneiform. It's like potato, potato. But that's beside the point. Um, what, how did you say it? it's not Penzies? That's how I've always called Ponce. it. It's yeah, French. It's French. I know it's French, but Ponce. I'm, from, I'm from Croydon. Um, and he, he, he always, I'm sure it's not verbatim but when he talks about you know making making people want christianity to be to be true and then showing them that that it that it is i'd be really interested to know how like how how do you how do you do that like how how do you do that so say someone yeah. you know you, you want to go through that process of someone you know how do you do that so i would say you ask what if this is true before you argue for its truth explain what if this is true what effect that will have on you and on them 
before you argue for it. So let's say you're discussing suffering or you're discussing God's existence. Can you start that with a, a minute or, or two just describing if this is true, if God is real, then you are more loved than you can possibly imagine. He is offering you forgiveness and eternal security with him. He's offering you a way to be rescued from your sin and from your darkness and from your doubt and from your selfishness. He's offering friendship with you for all eternity and he will never leave you if, if it's true. Now, I realize that's a big if, but let's talk about that now. Um, so I would I would always want to sort of say, and another way of doing it conversationally is to say, what would it change for you if God was real? How, how would it affect you if this was true? Um, Michael Green used to do it um, when he would, he called it cruising, cruising the assembled masses. When he, would, <laughs> when he was at an event, he used to go and chat to students and whoever he could talk to. And he loved just mingling and, and cruising. Um, but he would often ask people the question, um, if I ask, if I answer this question for you, will you become a Christian? Or what is stopping you becoming a Christian? What is stopping you trusting Christ? And it was a way of sort of litmus testing and just seeing, are they just interested in playing intellectual tennis or are they genuinely interested? Um, and it was also a way of saying, opening up that question of what, what would it change for you to consider that God might want relationship with you? This and it takes it from belief to encounter. Because mm. I, I think absence of the relationship aspect of that, that a lot of people think that merely changing one's belief from atheism or agnosticism to theism, like simply you just possess the be belief now that you you're in a theistic universe. It doesn't actually change anything. Um, so how would like I, I, I might. Just far if you could. So how? What, what would be? I just say, look, Tom, that that's that's great. But believing in believing in God doesn't change anything for me. I still go to work tomorrow. My kids are still, you know, you know, still drama at home. I still go to work in a job I don't like. You know, got a tiny house, no friends. I'm just hamming it up now. Like, what's it going to change? <laughs> um, well, it might not immediately change anything because you can't promise. Um... That that, that 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 god will just click his fingers and change it all overnight but um it might it, it you started with theism there and i think that's different a different proposition from christian theism um but if we start from christian theism from a god who is family and wants relationship and communicates and grows people um then it would mean at the very least that you had somebody to walk through some of that despondency, some of that disaffection with you. You would have somebody to talk to about it and you might have somebody who might guide you to find some steps to reinvigorate some areas and some aspects of your life. It would give you a model for a relationship that might stimulate and reinvigorate and reimagine for you, help you to reimagine and give you tools to be able to approach work home marriage in different ways um i mean let me give you an illustration from my life um before i just before i came to christ i'd been single for three years and 
I've had, had opportunities, but um, I, I've been single for three years, really by choice. And the reason why I've been single for three years before becoming a Christian was this. I kept falling out of love with people and I didn't know why. I didn't want to hurt any more people. I found that I got, I just, I just, I just kind of fell out of love with people and I didn't, I had a string of long relationships where I just became less and less interested. And the, the discovery that in a relationship with God that I then entered into through becoming a Christian in, in the discovery of that relationship with God, there was somebody who would love me and who I could feel love towards over a long period of time, who would bring stability and teach me what love was and that it was deeper than a fleeting feeling that seemed to vanish through my fingers, like trying to hold sand or water in your hands. Somebody who would teach me what love was, somebody who would demonstrate what love was, somebody who would show me how love did involve feelings, but it sometimes also was re revolved around commitment and sacrifice. And out of that could regrow and, and, and sometimes reoccur, even deepen feelings. Um, somebody who would help me understand what a relationship was. It was only on the strength of that that I was willing to re-engage with romantic relationships again. Um, so those are some of the ways in which God can archetype and God can demonstrate and God can give us an experience of life and love and grace that then begins to affect other things. It's true that we both encounter God inside the kingdom of God, but we also encounter God sometimes in relationship with others in church and in, in church community. Um, and I think that, um, I think that if that person who's struggling in, in, in that situation could also find a community of people who would encourage them, come alongside them, pray for them, love them, they would also find that a support as well through through tough times. But I don't think we should offer a click your fingers. God will fix it. He'll make everything in your he'll he'll you know he'll give you a he'll give you a Rolls Royce and a bank account brimming with cash, and 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 you'll never experience the need for an aspirin ever again in your life. I, I think that that that's a deadly deadly error. I mean, that 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 I've seen a lot of people's faith destroyed by. Um, positive confession theology i think it's very very dangerous hmm. uh, yeah I, I think Just it's fine that is a huge part though of of our evangelism i think it, it is in, I'm, I'm glad you asked those questions dan and, and you made that clear because it can be a part of it it is good news we do say it's good news and oftentimes Culturally, we think good news. Well, that means prosperity and, and being well off and healthy and with, without suffering. That's a massive part of our culture is to I shouldn't suffer if there's a good God. And therefore, if this is true, then why am I suffering? Um, so I, there's, there's a reason that's one of the biggest, biggest questions that we we often interact with. But uh, I, I think one of the sort of to add on to that is it gives you a framework for working out why you're annoyed by suffering or why suffering matters at all beyond just it being a, I don't know, a reflex or a natural instinct to dislike being hurt. It's 
actually why why I hate suffering is because there's we're meant to we're meant to yearn and long for something better, something greater, something where it will be no more. Um, so I, I think that's a, a vital aspect of recognizing that. Yeah, just walking through the Psalms, you realize that the Bible's not afraid of suffering or doesn't discuss suffering. I mean, even just looking at the cross, <laughs> an implement of suffering. Um, yeah, for those who would hold the view that as soon as you become a Christian, your life is going to be full of blessing and um, everything is suddenly going to, you know, get better and better and better. The picture that Christ presents is that, yes you're going to experience joy and you're going to experience freedom in a relationship with him. But actually he says, people will persecute you. He, that he then prophetically describes how the church is going to be uh, persecuted. Um, and, and we have description of the end times where, you know, <laughs> this, is, this is not going to get better. Things are going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. Sometimes people will say, Oh, um, I'm not sure I trust Christ anymore because things are not getting better and better. But Christ says, Luke 22, for example, he says things are going to get worse and worse and worse. So if you see things getting worse, Christ has proved right. Um, and then Christ's own example is that he walked a path not of lavish materialistic wealth. I mean, he had nothing. He didn't even have somewhere to lay his head. He came from poverty and lived in poverty. And he... He walked a road and a path of suffering. So exactly what kind of Christianity have we come up with where we don't have to walk the same path that Christ walked? When it when we're asked and invited to take up our cross and follow him, it's also an invitation to walk in the same pattern of life that he walked. So um, I think people who promise um, materialistic benefits are, 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 are not and not necessarily on key with what Christ says to prepare for. Mm. Totally agree. But I would say that I'm happier. Mm. And, 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 and yeah, I'm comfortable Western and you know, in, in Oxford and have a cav, cav a poo, right? So <laughs> what, what do I know? Um, but but I, I, I see the same glimmer of light and hope and freedom in the eyes of people I know who live in very, very difficult circumstances. Mm -hmm. um, there's a bright light that Christ lights in a person's soul and it burns very brightly in dark places. It burns very dark, very brightly in places where it's tough to live. Um, he calls some of us to, to give up things. I think um, I was reading Simon Gilbo's book a call to radical discipleship or something like that this morning. I read a bit to the kids at supper tonight on embracing risk, um, how we see failure. And I think, I think, I think there's some interesting stuff in that book about comfortable discipleship versus real discipleship. Hmm. Um, yeah. So I, I'm, we're digressing slightly into sort of uh, it's fine. It's uh, good. A, dis a discussion of materialism and prosperity and stuff. But I'm uh, I've seen a lot of people so so hurt. I've seen I've seen people pass away, like I think unnecessarily because they held off going to the doctor. They had a cancer recurrence. I've seen people actually, you know, examples of people when they refused to acknowledge that they were experiencing symptoms because they were so worried it would turn back the healing if they recognized the circumstances of suffering that they were in mm -hmm. because they thought they were meant to be in the life of blessing instead of being realistic about actually the path of the Christian life is actually a path of suffering.
Yeah, I mean, um, uh, I have some experience in this. Yeah, the the, the dangers of, of transactional theology. You know, if you know that the 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 Christian life is about simply you know you you giving and God giving you back, and um, it's such a dangerous way to 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 live and to 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 conceive of the Christian life because life. Uh, one, the Christian relationship, the relationship with God does not function in that way, and yeah. neither does uh, the reality of, of, of human life, nature, and, 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 and the natural world, um, universe. You know, doesn't doesn't function like that, and it, it, it's just a matter of time before you come up and stuck, um, unless unless you you know you, you never look up. You know, it, it's. Um, there's, there's something there is something in, interesting in this and there's there's a connection back to something that's happening in culture at the moment and i think this connects back to our earlier discussion about how we engage with people and the sort of polemics and divisiveness and the sort of broader conversation we've been having there is an issue in society at the moment where we we are we are objectifying people um one example would be pornography by treating another person as somebody that you use for your own gratification, not as a person valuable in their own right, a sister, a mother, a son, a daughter, right? You, you, when you, when you use that, um, you are objectifying someone when you treat somebody, when you're at a, a function or you're meeting people and you, you say, Oh, this person could really help my career. Um, I'm going to get to know them. You're treating them as a means to an end. Um, what, or, or you, you know, you, you maybe you're, you're trying to get funding for a ministry or for something, and you meet a wealthy donor, and you're like, oh, let's be friends. And you, you're not interested in friendship with them. Sometimes you're interested in what they've got in their wallet. And, and I think we we do objectify each other, um, and we can objectify and project the same objectification on God. I think we do it in our comfortableness using um sometimes using things that are that are created by people who are living in terrible conditions and in, in sweatshops and i know there's debate around that economically but hmm. i think i think i think i think we are we at the moment as human beings um don't always value the other as an other as opposed to a means to i think we quite often treat other people as a means to an end i don't hmm. know i i, I I've sometimes I've sometimes been to restaurants with people who who embody positively treating people as people and mm. that they will ask the name of the server always and they will say how are you today and address them by their name um and I think that that yeah, okay we're rushed sometimes but treating the other as a person with and asking their name asking how is your day going to the person who puts your shopping through at the checkout or um, engaging each other as human beings is so, so important, so necessary. We can project the same objectification on God and we treat him like a sort of transactional transactional theology, like a kind of heavenly cash point. I come with my sins, punch in my, my gospel code, out comes the sin forgiveness. And now I'm feeling happy about myself. I'm not really interested in relationship with God. I'm not seeking him as a person to be known, but I'm using him as a, uh, forgiveness cash dispenser. Mm. Um, so I think that objectification is also another part of what's going on here in the way that we interact, because y y you don't treat the other as a genuine other, 
but you treat them as some sort of online um, creation that, that that you know isn't a real person, but actually it does stand for a person, and that person may be hurt and affected by the things you say to that online thing. Mm -hmm. Russell Brand sometimes talks about how when you become a celebrity, you create something and something goes away from yourself and you never get it back. And you don't have real control over it. I mean, he, some would argue he had more control over some aspects of how he is perceived and what he does and says. But um, you, you, there's a sense that there's a, that, that's a separate self from us. And maybe that's part of what's going on in our on online interactions as well, that we, we know that's happening and we're prepared to sort of throw stones and throw rocks at those those non-real things mm. because but we have to keep remembering they're connected to real people mm. uh, and we need to dignify those people um I, i've done a few debates with justin briley on the on the radio and um, where he's been the host and he's invited an atheist on and i've done a few things like that and my one of my favorite ones with, with was with a guy called alam shahar who wrote the new atheist handbook and he got this book, he's got it sponsored by the Humanist Society and got it sent to every single secondary school in the UK. But um, what, what, what I have now, I haven't done it for a few years, and, and, but we've been in touch a little bit on, on, on Twitter over the years. And, on, and we met like you know, seven years ago, just to this one afternoon on this radio show. But, but I've had, um, I had supper with him in High Wycombe a couple of years after that. And we both have affirmed that we actually really enjoy knowing each other and, and value each other's friendship and conversation. I'd love to, I'd love hmm. to spend more time with him in the future. We need to at least have our hearts open to, to making friends and to engaging the other as the other. There's so much in that, Tom, that's really valuable and necessary for for people to hear especially in the and refreshing to hear <laughs> I, think, I hope people that are listening will take it on board because you can get so caught up in these debates and discussions and if you aren't in i, I think I, i'm again I'm, I'm quite lucky that i have a bit of a balance in working in a sort of interfaith chaplaincy so i am able to engage in these sort of robust discussions with people I actually genuinely like <laughs> but disagree severely when it comes to the nature of Christ and and God and and all that but if you don't if you have one extreme on, on Twitter and not the real experience in person it can get that whole objectification thing is really an interesting way to look at it and I do wonder if that's sort of maybe going down another rabbit hole uh, and maybe for another con conversation but just how our culture sort of drives us to think like that that we're so individualistic that everyone else is a means to an end and christians may well have absorbed that and and the way i'm thinking that is that i identify myself in this way you therefore should speak to to me and and affirm that that you you're the person in front of me should affirm me <laughs> and make me feel better about myself and, and right. in some senses that's an objectification of everyone around you that they uh, obey the rules of your identity um which is probably not a conversation that we have time for <laughs> going off from here um yeah just just some, lo loads of thoughts on that Dan, Dan what are your thoughts and we'll kind of go to our, our closing well, I was just going to ask something quickly, sort of practical, um, about um, in terms of on online engagement, sort of some some guidance or rules. I mean, I, I kind of have two rules that I, I run by. I don't know what you think about it. I just have the, the golden and silver rule of online engagement is uh, 
don't type anything in a way that I wouldn't, you know, that I wouldn't want to uh, someone to type to me and don't type things I wouldn't want people to type to me. You know, the sort of, you know, the sort of gold and silver rule really of sort of online engagement and try and always, whatever I'm doing before I click send, you know, think, right, if someone was sending that to me, how would I receive that? Um, Because it is, it is so difficult. Um, I think I've, I've, something i've got much better at over probably the last 10 years because especially involved with the uk apologetics group and commenting speaking to christians and non-christians you know all over the place i sort of i think i have a a, you know a decent level of awareness of how what i've typed Mm -hmm. might be perceived um but moderating um, a christian group does give you some (laughs) insight (laughs) so surprising how much you have to moderate a christian group sometimes but yeah so so i I, so i guess that some of the sort of rules you know maybe i don't know two three four however many things you think that sort of to 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 guide you know um good 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 online conversation i think would be really helpful for people and yeah yeah i i think um you know i think being charitable and thinking of the best possible motive and the best possible interpretation of what somebody said even if you find something offensive trying to think of the best possible interpretation of what they're saying and which is what you'd want somebody to think of you if you wrote something unfortunate so a bit of charity helps i think avoiding straw manning it's really important and the thing that really helps with that is is a bit of reading and a bit of a bit of exposure to scholarship rather than just reading apologetics stuff, actually reading philosophy or reading theology proper for yourself, reading primary sources um, and testing out. If you're unfamiliar um, with an argument you're presenting and you've never read the primary source material on it, it's, it's probably worth checking with somebody who knows about it to make sure you're not creating a weaker position, a paper tiger or a straw man, a weaker position than the real genuine position. William Lane Craig, I think, embodies this. I think he does this well. He presents other people's arguments more strongly than they sometimes present them themselves. I think he wins a lot of respect for that. He's thought well of in philosophy of religion for for, for doing that. Um, people might not always agree with him, um i think he's got a lot of useful things um to say i'm a big fan i read his book reasonable faith as part of my journey coming to faith actually i read moreland's scaling the secular city and i read reasonable faith by craig and they were important to me in my journey um but charity not straw manning and then i think as well um being willing to be vulnerable and being willing to take that step forward and saying this is more you know great we're having a debate discussion but if you if you do want to if 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 you do want to be personal if we if we if if we can take this into a slightly more personal conversation if if you're up for that i'd love to hear more about your story i'd love to hear more about what 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 would persuade you um where you're coming from and just being sort of friendly I guess and being open to friendship and being willing to take that step towards somebody rather than standing off and being defensive and being a bit afraid instead being courageous and sort of saying I'm I'm interested in friendship if you're interested it doesn't mean you force it or you manipulate way into a friendship but you just you put it out there and you put it on the table so charity not straw manning and friendship 
That's three. That's uh, so a really uh, nice, tidy list. <laughs> I think it's the, the best charity, I could come charity, up with. <laughs> yeah, the charity one is so important and, and one I think that yeah, I'll be trying to embody a little bit better. I think an example of that recently was um, well, I think online is particularly hard when you've got someone who <laughs> compares the Christian faith to the flying spaghetti monster yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and Santa Claus. And, you, yeah, and it's not the first time you've run across somebody sort of straw manning you like that. No, no, it's no. I've, I've, I've responded to quite a few. And I'm at a point where I'm just like, nah, <laughs> bye. Yeah. I'll see you later. And, and, uh, and being online, oftentimes there's a couple other notifications that follow with uh less and less um reason to engage but the <laughs> the yeah that that charitable um side of things is yeah really important especially if you can tell that they are real people <laughs> especially if they have their name next to their username um and rather some vague um antagonizing meme May I take an opportunity to clarify something? I noticed earlier somebody asked, what does it mean to be an Archbishop's evangelist? Oh, I, yeah. All I mean by that is I am a member, I'm one of the core members, um, one of the early members of the College of Evangelists, and I'm an Archbishop. The shorthand for that that people have I seen start calling themselves that. So David Bennett had also started using the shorthand, I'm an Archbishop's evangelist. Um, maybe I should say absolutely clearly, I'm an evangelist with the Archbishop's College of Evangelists. There's a College of Evangelists bit there. Um, I don't know if there's a title of Archbishop's Evangelist. If there is, I would be horrified and I would immediately remove that um, shorthand. <laughs> but um, So maybe somebody could let me know if I'm, uh, if I'm making a faux pas there or not. But that's all I meant by that. But I am genuinely a member of that. That the Archbishop's College, I haven't, hadn't heard of that either. And it, so and, it, and, it, and it was it was set up and renewed and is a vision for recruiting and releasing a thousand evangelists from the Church of England. Right, I see. Uh, we've just had, a, yeah, Dan, Dan might be, he's, he's on the call still, I'll just remove he's having to be a little bit silent for um, family at the moment. So, um, cool. well, um, oh, he's back. There we go. So we're at the point where we probably should start closing up anyway. We generally close up with the same question. Uh, if you've seen any of our last streams, who should we be listening to, reading? We've we've gone through uh, probably quite a few resources. Uh, I'm not sure what's going on there, Dan, with your camera. <laughs> <laughs> we're just going all over the place. Um, who, who should we be listening to, reading? We've, we've had a few resources through the call. Feel free to re repeat them. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So I think if people could have a look at um, the three websites I mentioned, if they haven't found them yeah. already, be thinking. Um, it's probably something that people know about already. But do have a look at beliefmapping.com. Do do see if you could make use of that. There's a full kit there that you can get hold of that you can um, use. It's a really good conversational toolkit. Um, it's different from uh, – there's another belief mapping apologetics ministry which sort of maps out arguments it's not that this is a conversational survey tool it's a renewed version of what used to be called the worldview survey and it's it's a really great tool i'd love to offer training for that if anybody'd like training in using that or in equipping their church to use it or their organization to use it i can do that 
Um, there's also foundinfilm.com, which is a film discussion, totally free um, film discussion um, outreach. The idea is you set up a WhatsApp group with friends who are interested in talking about movies or in person um, at some point in the future. And you um, watch the movie and then you share the discussion questions. And then there'll be some audio and video resources, which will also stimulate discussion you can share. It's just a way of chatting with friends about film and about culture and about life. Um, and uh, love people to take advantage of those. Dallas Willard's book Gen on gentleness um, is worth looking at. And I think um, I would also um, want to point towards um, books our team has, has been writing recently. Um, Amy or Ewing has just done a new book on suffering that um, is is seems to be uh, I haven't I haven't read it yet, Amy. I'm so sorry, but um, <laughs> I, I, I I'm sure because I've read your other books. I'm sure it's excellent. Um, so good things. Yeah, yeah. I I think it, I think it's it's quite powerful. Um, the other the other book um, that I think is quite interesting um, is. Um, it's the one I mentioned earlier, um, Reasonable Faith. And I think I think that's such good reading for people. Um, I think it's in its third or fourth version now. Um, there's a slightly more accessible version called On Guard, which, which I also highly recommend, um, both by William Lane Craig. Um, very worth checking out both of those um, to equip you. Um, the other book I'll recommend is a book by um, Wade Bradshaw. Um, I'll just look the title of it up, um, but it's, it was written out of his experience helping people navigate ethical questions in culture. Um, oh yeah, I remember it. It's called Searching for a Better God. I think this book, Searching for a Better God by Wade Bradshaw, is such a gift. I, it's it's a distant, he was, Wade led Labrie in the UK for like, I think th maybe 25, 30 years. Um, and the book Searching for a Better God is him showing a way through all those complicated ethical questions in society, um, questions around sexual ethics, start of life ethics, end of life ethics, and this old story of the Christian story and how we walk that path, being faithful and still putting our hope in the God who is revealed in the old story, but also listening to some of the questions and insights from the new story and from the new reality that we're in. I think he does it in a way that is just deeply um powerful and faithful uh it's one of the best christian books i've ever read um yeah I i'd re highly recommend that as well amazing that's, that's amazing uh thank you so much for all of those i haven't heard of wade bradshaw so i'm gonna have to look him up yeah uh, his, his, any of his talks on Libri's ideas library that's another great resource Libri ideas library i i love that website so much uh, so Labrie in Hampshire, we're, we're, I haven't even heard of that before. So yeah, that's, that's so Labrie is the uh, sort of study centre Christian community um, that Francis Schaeffer set up. There's a network of them all over the world. There's one in Hampshire near to Lys, and they have a website called the Labrie Ideas Library. I think it's one of the best um, resource websites out there. It's absolutely amazing. You can access their amazing tape libraries. Uh, you can just download it and download stuff. You you. After the high quality listening, um, some of the audios a little, some of the older audios are a little bit funny, but stick with it. The, the content in there is amazing. Oh, fantastic! That's a whole, whole new resource that I haven't engaged with. Tom, I'm aware it's getting late, and uh, 
Dan's tech is clearly uh, being stretched <laughs> at the moment. Not sure it's, it's been going. great to talk to you, Phil. It's been great to talk to you, Dan. Yeah, it's been it's been a real pleasure. Maybe we'll have a, a, another chat about all the um, sorry the film stuff. It's I've got um, my. Are we still live? We are still live. <laughs> oh, we haven't sorry. Live. You're all good. You're all good. Um, so you're off. Oh, not, not yet. Um, so we're. Um, you throw me off, Dan. It's all good. You've been thrown off as well. So it's, it's all good stuff going on in your in the background. Um, yeah, Tom, it's been a, been a pleasure, and maybe we can um, get stuff. Oh no, Glenn Scrivener is telling me off. I haven't heard of. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Glenn. I'm just uh, not a Hebrew of Hebrews like your good self. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I love Glenn. <laughs> um, yeah, we are we are still alive. Just so we know. So um, anyway, <laughs> this is going all wrong. Um, Tom, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. We'll get you on and talk about film and, and uh, you can continue to educate Dan on art and uh, and fiction. <laughs> Dan, next time I come back, maybe you would have read a book. Yes. <laughs> yeah. A real book, a bit of literature. Yeah. One book a year I do. I do one okay. book of fiction okay. a year right. out of do about Do you like airport thrillers? Do you like airport novels? No. no. Do you like Tom, spy Tom. novels? Now, I'll be on it, Tom. You're you're one of a long line of people who've tried. And the problem is I start reading, I just get bored. I I I, I read to learn. I read to learn. And I think when I try and read fiction, I just I can't mentally I can't get over this hurdle that I'm not learning anything. Because I'm playing catch up. I never read growing up. So I'm always okay. playing catch up. So psychologically, I'm like Do you read re do you read missionary stories? No. Because that's kind of a bit. That's not fiction. I hope that's not fiction. But yeah. But but that's you. You might be able to feel theologically you were learning, and you were reading something that's actually narrative as well. So there's a maybe it's a gateway. I maybe could try. That could be my, That could be the gateway drug. So yeah, I've, yeah. I've, I've I've done a bit of DL Moody. Yeah. You know, yeah, start with Jim Elliot. There you go. I'll try. Yeah, or Lana, Lana Del Rey in the headphones while you're playing. <laughs> Lana Del Rey with Jim Elliot. Man, that'll, be, that'll be a depressing story, but <laughs> at least the outcome for the uh, family is a little bit more hopeful. Anyway, so we've um, sort of derailed the end of that. Um, but it was, uh, thanks for joining in. It's good to talk to you. Uh, thanks, Tom. I'll, I'll just wrap this up. If um, you enjoy what you're listening to, there's uh, a couple of ways that you can get involved. Follow us on social media, subscribe, like, do all that but also we, we've opened up some opportunities on patreon um we'd love to use Streamyard uh, fully which gives us a little bit more um streaming capability but also we can involve a live audience um in the background on Streamyard. if you'd like to be a part of that um you can do this fancy stuff with like a ticker tape running across the screen that you can see there join us at patreon.com critical witness um and you can be a part of what we're doing. Um, we'd love to have you on board with what, what we can do. Uh, we've got a big live stream happening on the 11th of December, but between now and then, we've also got, uh, I believe, Mike Austin is next week talking God and Guns, and then we've also got, uh, in the not-too-distant future, we have Jay Smith coming along. And Glenn, I'm glad... Uh, we're, we've got this professional stuff down. We're, we've really nailed it here, I think, specifically on this thread. So uh, I'm glad you're loving the post-amble as well. What's Glenn looking at in that picture? That's what I want to know. 
Yeah, maybe we should get Glenn on. <laughs> I know, I know exactly what he's saying. He's gazing at the at the Lord and the glory of Jesus. <laughs> there, there is definitely for the podcast. This might be really confusing, but we're having a whale of a time here. Uh, yeah, Glenn Scrivener's profile pic is uh, definitely um, looking off into the distance. Dan, your camera's going all wrong as well. I, I, sh I should say I've had some technical difficulties and and night terrors from my my son and and a screaming child. So. Just to explain, Glenn, there were some. Uh, I, I thought we'd stopped. I came mid conversation. I thought we'd stopped. We're, we're still, still going to stop now. And I'm going to let Phil finish it. All right, I'll, I'll click end broadcast. This is just going on forever. So, uh, cool. Um, there we go. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you like what you hear, please do give us a subscribe on YouTube or follow us on any of the social media out there and give us feedback. Get in touch, let us know what you think. If you really enjoyed the content and want to support it, find us on patreon.com.